Welcome to Be Convinced, a show about sharing life-changing stories of hope. I'm your host, Soraya diasi Kofelt. I'm an Ivy League-educated lawyer, former judge, small business owner, children's author, and above all, mother, who is passionate about helping to improve lives and convincing you that there is indeed hope for a better future for ourselves and our children. This is episode number three. My guest today will give parents lots of hope in navigating those turbulent waters of the teenage years as he gives many successful yet practical recommendations as to how to build better relationships. Because there is so much for us to talk about, we will do the show in two parts. Hi, this is Soraya Diasi Kofelt on the show Be Convinced, and I'm so excited to have as my special guest today, Bernardo Salcido, the author of Connect Teens. And I can't tell you all how impressed I am with this book, and I'm so looking forward to what Bernardo has to tell us. I just love all the practical suggestions he has for us as parents. And I am a mother of two sons who are adults now. And I wish I had this book when I was raising my sons. I plan on purchasing it as a gift for one of my sisters who has teens. That's how impressed I am with this book. And I know the listening audience will be too. But before I start asking Bernardo to share about himself and tell us about his book, I always like to start my shows with a quote. And the quote today is from Nora Ephron. It's a quote I love because it's so applicable to teens. And this is the quote. When your children are teenagers, it's important to have a dog. So someone in the house is happy to see you. So it's almost as if she knew exactly how teenagers can be at times. So Bernardo, thank you so much for being a guest today and sharing with our audience. You are a father, a teacher, a coach, a school administrator. You have such an awesome birth of experience. So tell us a little about each and about yourself. So Raya, I am so excited to be here and thank you for the glowing praise. I wish a lot of other people could see how fantastic the book is. And that's what we're really here about today is I I think it's not too late if you're struggling with your teenager at home. We and you can make a difference in their life. And the simple strategies that are in the book definitely lead to that kind of connection. As you mentioned, it has been a journey in writing the book and things that I've been through. I'm going into education now, my 20th year. I can't believe it. I still have kids at school say, hey, you look like you just graduated, which is a very nice compliment. But the experience that I have is definitely valid and it comes from a lot of different areas. Like you mentioned, I have two teens myself and both of them are in high school right now. I have been a teacher for 17 years. And during that time I taught science, both life science and earth science. And that was a very good opportunity to just hone some skills and learn how to connect with kids. Currently, I'm in an administration, so I'm a middle school principal, and that transition just started about three years ago. So just a different way of not only helping kids, but also helping teachers to hone in their skills as well. And you also mentioned that you've been a coach. Whenever I was teaching, I did coaching for athletics and cross country and track. Those are the the big two sports that I was involved in, coaching upwards of 60 kids on a particular Mm -hmm. team at any given time. And I think that's important as well. My oldest son is an athlete, played all types of sports, and coaches were very important in the lives of the athletes. And I want my listening audience to understand that you have such a, a wide 
amount of experience in different capacities and hence how good you're able to draw on this experience to now give us as parents advice. So the book is Connect Teen and it's all about connecting to your teens. Tell us why did you write the book? So with my experience in education, there was always a constant idea or feedback that I was getting from teachers, from students, from parents, from administrators that just talked about how well I was connecting with kids. Oh man, your kids, they absolutely love your class. Oh, what would you do in this situation? Because I I feel like my son or daughter really appreciates how you connect with them. And over time, this kind of just slowly built up and I, I never really gave it any attention. I was just so focused on teaching and doing my coaching and just being there for the kids being a mentor, being a coach, being somebody that they could rely on. Over time, this just kind of built up. And my last year of teaching actually is what was the impetus to get me started on the book. And long story short, there was a huge situation during my observation. I mean, a high, high pressure environment where a student comes in, he literally kicks in the door. He's fully upset. And my administrator is there watching this whole thing transpire. And what happened was, I was able to get the kid outside. We could talk. We could figure it out and brought that same kid with so much emotion into class and he had a fantastic day. During the evaluation process, my my administrator says, you have a natural gift. And at that point, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, how can I share this? At this point, I need to share this because what I am doing seems to be unique and other people need to hear this. So that's when I started on the journey of creating the book And just sitting down and thinking about what exactly do I do with students, with kids, with my own teens, that maybe people know, but maybe they don't. And in your book, in the acknowledgement section, you refer to your work on writing the book as a journey. And why do you call it a journey? It totally has been a journey because of everything that I have went through and experienced. Like you mentioned, my background is really diverse in what I have done, not only in middle school, also in high school with the different sports and coaching. I've also done work with a lot of EL programs at the schools that I taught doing uh, migrant programs and helping parents. Additionally, I've been at diverse backgrounds of schools, some of the lowest socioeconomic schools and some of the highest. So that journey of learning what works for kids has really been narrowed down to the, the simplicities of what works across teenagers and across students. And that journey has been what I have learned along the way. And I think that's why your book is so important and your, your suggestions, uh, recommendations in your book. If a parent is going through challenges with their teenage child, what would you suggest Should they start reading the book or is it just too late? It's absolutely not too late. And I tell parents this all the time when kids make mistakes, right? As as an administrator, this is just an opportunity for them to learn. This is a mini lesson that we can learn from. And parents, it's not too late. You can make a difference and you can start connecting starting right now. A lot of the strategies that are in the book are instant takeaways and you don't have to start at any particular Mm -hmm. place. I really wanted to make it accessible and easy to start connecting with your team as soon as possible. So it's not too late. The strategies that that I provide are very simple, very applicable, written at a level where you can open up the book to any page, 
pull something out and use it right then. And I, I totally agree with that. As again, a mother who raised two sons, I they're so uh, just a lot of them are common sense. And when I read them, I'm like, oh my gosh, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> you know. And I think what's so important about your book is you encourage parents to keep trying. Yes, there will be those. Uh, difficult moments, those down times, but keep trying. So I'd like to start getting into the book. And we're going to start with chapter one, of course. And you start off your book in chapter one, concentrating on respect. And the quote is at the beginning of chapter one, your quote is, teens will show you respect if you show you care. So why don't you tell us why is respect so important that you start off the book with that concept? I think it's important for parents, especially in my generation, to understand that they're dealing with a different mindset of student, a different mindset of teenager. And that's why I started the book off with that particular quote, kind of similar to what you did today with, with our podcast. It's not the same respect mm-hmm. your elders culture that we're dealing with today. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it is, right? The, the culture of especially what we have in education or in America is students don't automatically respect their teachers just because they're in a position of authority. That does not happen. And when we approach kids from that avenue, from that venue, it does not work because they don't automatically have that initial respect for who they're working with. On the flip side, on the contrary, they need to understand that we're there for them, that we'll always be there for them, that we care for them. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, it opens up those lines of communication for the teenagers. Mm-hmm. And as parents, we, we tend to think we want our children to respect us. But it's hard for us in turn to think we need to respect them. And that's important. The respect is both ways. So... Just starting off the book, teaching us about the whole issue of respect, I think is very, very important because that's the foundation. And you give some examples about building respect in chapter one. I mean, many examples, but what I would like you to do is to select two examples for us about how respect can be built with your team. Absolutely. And the idea behind the book is just providing lots and lots of strategies. Mm -hmm. You can take one, you can take 10. It's up to you, but it's meant to be practical. It's meant to be open it up. Here's a guidebook. And the first thing I started with, because I completely feel like this is one of the most important things that you can do with your team Mm -hmm. to build respect is starting a tradition of family dinners Mm -hmm. with your family, with your teenager I like to ask my kids a lot of questions when I was in the classroom and not only then, but also right now is, is I'm hanging out with kids in the quad and interacting with them. I talk about their family situation. And one of the questions I always ask my kids, are, how many times do you have dinner with your family? And I was always surprised at how low the number was. I mean, we're talking 30 or 40% of the kids would say, yeah, tonight we had dinner together as a family. And that It really tugs at my heartstrings and it blew me away because that's not how I was raised and that's not how I'm raising my kids. And I find it so important to connect on a routine basis at night, having dinner, and that provides some level of certainty within a kid's life that they need 
They know at the end of the day, they're going to come home. They're going to have dinner with their family. And we're just going to talk and hang out. All right, but let's be practical. You have a teen and you ask the teen, how was your day today? Good. And what did you do? <laughs> talk to my friends. It's like pulling teeth to get them to express themselves. So we're at the family dinner table. Help us. Help us as parents. How do we engage our children in conversation? That is so funny that you mentioned that because you're right that at that particular age, as a, in a teen's life, talking is not necessarily one of their hidden gifts. It's definitely one that they don't want to participate in. An easy way to do it is just start the conversation open-ended. So first strategy, open-ended. Tell me two things about your day, two things you liked and one thing you didn't. So a very simple question that opens up the dialogue for them to talk. So two and one go around, everybody shares. And at that point, it kind of gets something going, right? It breaks the ice. It gets, it gets them talking at least a little bit. At that point, what I do is I like to have suggestions or question starters as well. And it's less about how their day was, but just something random to get them going secondarily. And that could be anything from, yeah, we had ice cream or we're going to have ice cream. What would be your favorite flavor if you want that? Just something completely random outside the box that is not necessarily targeted at the typical, how was your day? But it gets them thinking outside the box. Yes, yes. And then you stress in chapter two, well, throughout the book, but especially in chapter two about parents listening. And it's not as if you ask a question and then you move on. It's very important for parents to listen. That's the other side of it right? The, the book has a lot of tips for parents because it's a lot of strategies that parents can do and implement such as listening. So once you get your, your, your team talking and you get them engaged in what you're doing at dinner, it's so important to listen because we can all tell when somebody's faking the listening or they just don't care about what is being said. And that's not what the message we want to send to our teens. They need to know that we are completely engaged in listening. And that's why that family time at dinner is so important because you literally have to put the phone down. You got to sit down. We have dinner. We sit around the table and there's nothing else to do except we're hanging out. We are talking about not only your day, but just life, dreams, hopes, experiences, failures, and how do we learn from them? So getting them to engage, but also listening. And there's a lot of ways that you can show that you're listening. And the book goes into very, very specific details about your body language, about how you respond whenever they're talking to keep them going, but also to show that you're listening. Yes. And one of the techniques as a lawyer, I'm trained is the follow-up question. It isn't, how's your day? How was your day? Good. And then you move on. <laughs> it's like the follow-up. It's the parent really trying to listen and develop and open up that line of conversation with the teen. That's so important. So I had asked you to give us two examples. You told us about the family dinner. And let me just camp on that subject a little bit more. What happens to a family that they don't really have a family dinner time? And they said, oh, my bit, my schedule's so busy and my children's schedule is so busy. How Do you have any suggestions to how to start doing it? I think it's super important and you got to find a way to do it at some point in time in the day. Maybe it's lunchtime. I know my wife has gotten to a tradition right now of coming home for lunch. 
and being with the kids. If that's the only time that you have, if you have a lunch break at work and you can get away, that would be a way to do it. Before you start the day, breakfast time could also be one of those opportunities. And if you absolutely can't find the time for some type of meal to sit around together, a family walk at the end of the day would be another alternative to still provide that necessary engagement time that puts it on the calendar. I think that's, that's where we're at. Our calendars are so busy, but what's more important than our family? That needs to be calendared too. That's so true. That's so very true. And parents need to establish, they have appointments for other things and appointments for the family are so critical. So I I had asked you back to my question. I asked you for two examples. We talked about family dinners, how important they are. Give us another example about how we as parents can build this respect. So you kind of led to the, the next example of listening and building respect starts with listening. So the team feels like they're heard. So that would be my secondary strategy. So you're, you're building these family connecting times. And while you are doing that, in order to build respect, you have to show them that you care through the listening process. And like you mentioned with uh, your lawyer practice, it's never just one question, right? It's always leading questions to the next concept or taking a little nugget and spinning it and making that the whole part of the conversation. So probing deeper and asking questions is secondarily an excellent strategy to build respect. Because what I've come to learn is really you're on a journey to learn as much as you can about your team. The more you know, the more you can help them. That's so true. That's so true. In chapter two, you focus on conflict. And the quote that you start chapter two off with is, teens will fight if there is no other choice. And what do you mean by that? Wow. I've seen it so many times in education, so many times from the office in terms of administration. And what I mean by that is if you put kids in a corner, they're going to fight back 100% of the time. It doesn't matter if they're right. It doesn't matter if they're wrong. That doesn't matter. They are programmed and wired to fight if they are pushed. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I started off that chapter. Chapter two is full of great ideas about conflict and how to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Because there are a hundred ways that you can build the relationship with your teenager. But if you do something wrong, boom, you're set back 10, 15 steps from where you were. You've already broken that relationship past what you've already succeeded with. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this whole issue of conflict is so important. And when you talk about conflict, As I mentioned, and you've mentioned, you give parents very helpful strategies. So please give us, again, two points, two helpful strategies that parents can implement. There's so many more in the book, but at least two. And sorry, I got to say, I really appreciate reading the book and your feedback has been fantastic. And this has been a great experience. I would say for parents and conflict, the number one thing that I have problems with or that students have problems with is transition time. So when you're going from one activity to the next, Mm -hmm. how is the best way to minimize conflict when you know something's coming up in your schedule? Maybe you got to go to the grocery store. In the classroom, it's like cleaning up or getting ready to leave the classroom. The biggest strategy that I can share would be giving your teens a five-minute warning. You know you're going to go to the grocery store in five minutes. Tell them. Make them aware of the schedule. 
Don't just drop it on them. That's, that's the worst thing you can do. They might be in the middle of something. And that goes back to respect. I know all of these, the, the example that I provide in the book is a lot of kids like video games, especially if they're a guy. And there are video games that take some time. Now, a lot of them are online. And yes. you walk into the room and say, hey, we need to leave right now. Turn it off. That affects their mood instantly because they're involved in this game that maybe they've been playing for 10 minutes and they're close to winning and it's important to them. If you do that, you're instantly going to get a negative attitude the rest of the time you're doing whatever it is that you need to do now. Mm-hmm. Instead, be thoughtful. And again, it goes back to the parents and using strategies and, and mm-hmm. thinking about how they're trying to connect. If you know you're going somewhere, give them a heads up. Hey, we're going to be going to the store in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Would that be enough time for you to wrap up what you're doing and then we can go? And then listen to them. And maybe they'll say, you know what? In 10 minutes, I can be done. Cool. All right. In 10 minutes, we'll make that transition and we'll go. Maybe not. Maybe in 10 minutes, that's not enough time. But at least you're listening to them and respecting enough of what they're doing to show that it's important. And you just said that word respect. You're respecting their time as well. And so they buy into this information that you're giving them. It's time to start wrapping up. You give them a time limit. And then... Then you enforce it. <laughs> Give us a, a <laughs> yes. second helpful strategy about uh, working with teens in this whole area of conflict. If you ever want to see a teen get really, really mad, call them out in front of their friends. Oh, that, that is so that true. Is, <laughs> that's an instant win for failure right there. That's, that's the fastest way to destroying your relationship is in front of their friends while they're around their peers making fun of them or putting them down or degrading them, that does not go over well. So my, my second strategy would be you have to know when you're going to provide constructive criticism. And if you are, that needs to be privately given. Mm-hmm. If you're going to praise them, absolutely. Shout, be loud, tell everybody about how fantastic your teenager is. But if you're airing the dirty laundry, if you're going to be telling them something negative, You have to find a private way to do that. It works in the classroom and it works at home. And no matter how awkward it is, we were at dinner the other night and my son was having a little bit of a negative attitude. He's coming at his sister in the wrong way. And we literally had to stop and him and I just went downstairs and we had a conversation. We came back up. His mood wasn't the greatest, but it was way better than it would have been if I would have shut him down right there in front of his sister. Mm -hmm. That's not how you go about building relationships. And again, going back to building that respect and connecting. And I think that was such a good recommendation because as parents, we probably would not embarrass them in front of their friends, but we would in front of their siblings. And I can't tell you how much I've learned from the book, (laughs) but I tell my my, my sons are adults now, but it's so helpful. That is such a wonderful recommendation about not embarrassing them in front of their siblings. I wanted to talk to you about another recommendation you have about these gestures and hand motions to help with the child and sort of move them along, curve any negative behavior. Quickly tell us about that. In the book, I wanted to highlight certain strategies or a quick look at what can you do? What can I do right now? And so I put some sections in darkened, highlighted sections to make them more accessible. And one of the things that you're honing in on there is 
these gestures that I picked up from the classroom. Because a lot of times in a situation where you're thinking, we're at Thanksgiving dinner, we're all around the table. How am I going to reach over to my son or daughter and correct their behavior? And one of the ways that you can do that is through gestures. So what I do with my own kids is some type of hand gesture that only them and I know. Only they would be able to recognize that. So for example, if my son was on his phone and we were at Thanksgiving dinner, which just happened, we kind of make eye contact and I would just give him a little touch on the ear. Not necessarily touching his ear, but me touching my ear and that reminds him for us and our family, that means you need to refocus. You need to be listening. You need to be engaged in the conversation. Nobody else is the wiser of what I just told him, even though I was being corrective in nature, but that simple hand gesture helped him to refocus. Another one that we do, the no symbol, right? Because this has all happened to us parents. Your son or daughter has a great idea. Hey, can Johnny or Susie spend the night? And they ask you right in front of their friend. And I'm thinking, yes, we've <laughs> talked about this. You can't be doing that. So true. But the signal for no, two fingers to the thumb, and they know the answer right then. And I can kind of navigate around saying no, even though I'm telling them no initially. Yes. And I tell you that, that those are such good recommendations and very practical. So as we wrap up, Bernardo, what I'd like to do is have you tell the listening audience how they can purchase the book, reach out to you on social media, find out what you're doing. And this is part one of the show. So we will come back for part two, but let the listening audience know again, how to purchase your book and how they can connect with you on social media. Absolutely. The book is available for purchase on iUniverse. And if you just type in into Google, the easiest way to find it is type in iUniverse, connecting, it'll take you directly to the book. But you can also go to my Instagram page and that link is always in the bio because I want to get it out to as many parents as possible. As I find the strategies are extremely helpful. It's things that I'm using with my kids. So many other parents ask, what can I do to help my son or daughter? And it's these exact strategies that I provide. Very good. Thank you so much. And we'll be back for part two. Thank you for joining me on the show, Be Convinced, as we share life-changing stories of hope. As you wake up each morning, consider the impactful words of American poet Maya Angelou. This is a wonderful day. I have never seen this one before. My passion has always been to spread the love of books and promote the importance of literacy in a child's life. My passion inspired me to write a series of five faith-based children's books about our favorite holidays from a Christian's perspective, Easter, Fourth of July, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. My books are filled with colorful illustrations and lots of humor because children love to laugh. All proceeds from book sales go to the nonprofit foundation as the Stars of the Sky Foundation to help promote literacy. To purchase my books, please visit as a stars of the sky.org or your favorite online bookseller. Thank you.